You're listening to In the Open, a Mental Health America podcast, a space where we explore mental health and navigate the challenges of life through honest and candid conversation. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to In the Open with America and Teresa today. Hello, everyone. We are going to continue our series on grief. And today we're going to talk about depression and grief. The topic is called I Feel Numb. America, do you ever feel numb? Yeah. Depressed? I definitely have gone through that, experienced that. When I when I have felt numbness, I feel like my body is somewhat disconnected to my head. Does that make does that make sense? I, I don't know if you've ever felt that. Yeah, definitely in different ways. Although it sounds like what you're saying might fe- be different than like dissociation. I mean, a little bit, but I'm more so focused on this idea of... You feel a disconnect between your head and your body? Yes, I feel a disconnect with all... Like my body's just kind of limp, you know? Mm -hmm. There's Mm -hmm. no energy to move. I feel like a sack of flour. Like I'm just like going along. Yeah. Dragon. This one's easy for me to identify. I think my depression definitely presents this way. Mm. I can get emotional or crying on edge, but I don't I'm not like spending time predominantly crying <laughs> when I'm depressed. I mostly feel numb. And then when I then when I get into a private space like a car and I get into my head, I can get sad. But mm. mostly it's numbness. Um like how does that I think, present itself though in your body? I've told I, I feel like I've told you this in some other podcasts, but like I could tell like color changes. Oh, you did mention that. And I always, I hate that because I'm just like, God, this like the world literally looks gray (laughs) and I don't live in Seattle, (laughs) you know, so um, food doesn't taste the same. Mm. I know what you're saying about the disconnect. Um, I feel like it's a heaviness. So where you say like you're a sack of flour, it does, it feels heavy. It feels like it's harder to move my body. Yeah. I'm tired. It feels like just being very, very exhausted all the time. I I think that encapsulates it. What What's interesting for me around this experience and grief is that what I have found is I experience it most often when I've, it kind of comes as a surprise. In all these other phases, I'm kind of moving and I'm, I feel, feeling my feelings and I may be angry and I'm trying to bargain and all this stuff. But then there's a moment where it just becomes too heavy to try to manage all of these things. So my brain is so exhausted that the only way that it can manage is to manifest itself into this complete numbness that becomes, it can become overwhelming or scary. And ultimately, oh, yeah. And you're just like, what happened? I was fine yesterday, right? I was fine yeah. yesterday. Yeah, because this is where like anger and bargaining make other people mad at me. <laughs> this one, people are relieved. They're like, okay, you're numb. But then, um, but then you get disconnected and you're like, oh, this is where isolation gets really weird. Yeah. Like if you give into it too much, well, how long can I just be alone? Mm-hmm. <laughs> for a long time and the longer you're alone the scarier it is yeah because you have I, well i don't know if you have there may be the tendency to 
to really shut off, right? And for the people that are around you, it becomes more evident. And again, where all these other phases that we're going through, people, it may make them feel a certain way. This numbness, it's so much harder to tap into because you're like, the people from the outside are like, what can I do to help? And there's nothing. There's nothing. Well, that's really cool that they ask to help. I guess, yes. Sometimes I get really scared with the numbness because when you isolate and people and you live with people who are busy in their own lives, like people sometimes think you're okay, mm. but you're kind of floating about. Like if you see people, they're like, oh, I could tell you're a little withdrawn, but like nobody is necessarily seeking you out to go out or check in. And so when you give in to this numbness or the depression stage, you know, the risk of isolation in a way that gets bad, you know, like triggering an episode or or if you've never had depression, like feeling this grief period for, for a lot of people can be the trigger for them to develop clinical depression mm. as a part of complex grief. Especially if you've lost somebody, like I, when I work with clients, I see this with partners who have lost their their partner. There are a lot of risk factors associated with this stage. You know, one of the things that earlier on in our conversations with this particular series we talked about is the idea that even though you may be going through these emotions, if you've never been given the language to really understand that th it is part of a cycle of grief, then you're just functioning. And at that same rate, when you start experiencing like this numbness and this momentary like feeling of anything, then you come to find yourself asking questions like, what's really happening with me now? Mm -hmm. And if nobody tells you, it could be tied to the loss of a friend, the loss of your job, the loss of this significant thing that was part of your life, then you wouldn't know what to do. I also find, do you find this is true on your side that people don't know how to deal with this stage? Yeah, it's super scary. So with other ones, people are full of advice or because bargaining and denial and anger happen. Everybody expects that to happen as your first stage. You know, you're shocked for a while and they're there. Something about the grief stage, um, the, the depression stage, the timing of the way it happens. I feel like by the time you enter this space, a lot of people have already left. Yeah. And totally. when they come back, they don't know how to deal with it either. They're like, they have their own shame and their own guilt for having left you behind. Yeah. Because there comes that place too that you, you don't even know how to talk about it and describe what it is. And you don't even have the energy to give in to be able to be like, actually, this is what I'm feeling. No, man, just let me feel what I feel. I don't want to talk to anybody. Yeah. I've been on both sides of this. And because I think there is time that passes and as the person of interest that you're trying to, you know, you're trying to be the helper, you looking from the outside in, you're like, wow, I do see you're really struggling, you know, like, but most often people stay quiet because it's so uncomfortable. And the only thing I think that ever really helped me from the, from somebody else was just saying, I know you maybe you don't want to talk about stuff, but I'm just going to be here. I'm just I'm just going to be here. Yeah. I'm thinking back to when when I was not in the grief stage, but I, but somebody acknowledged, you know, like, hey, sorry. Hey, sorry. I just went through this thing. And I don't know. I just withdrew, you know, mm -hmm. 
And I can think of times in my life where I was like, Ugh. and I, the, yeah, the, the overwhelming feeling of shame or guilt for ignoring you or not, not checking in. But I, I remember too, if I've said that to people, like if I said, like, I don't know, I just withdrew, you know, your instinct is to just say sorry and then not say anything again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I appreciate that you're like, well, I'm just, I'm going to be here with you. But I, I, even just asking, like, it's okay to ask, like, or acknowledge, like, hey, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I think I didn't check in with you. As now I feel guilty about that. But how is it going now? You know? Yeah. Like, what can I do if, if there's nothing? Like, there, that's putting a lot of responsibility on the person that's going through this to give you input and be like, actually, I need you to go do my dishes. No, man, I don't think I, I don't think every, anybody's gonna. It's just yeah. like there's nothing you can do, but just the idea that you're just gonna be around, and if we're just sitting on the couch, I'm gonna sit on the couch with you. If that is that cool, I'm just gonna be here. Yeah, I agree. I don't know that most people would know. Like, what can I do to make you feel better? Mm-hmm. Which is like when we ask that question, it's because we want people to feel better, not because we're comfortable sitting with their suffering, right? Right. Yeah. It's more of a selfish ask. But that's why like maybe just saying, well, how is it going? Like, how are you feeling now? Doesn't require effort. And I think, I don't know, I'm able to say like, okay, well, yeah, this is how I am now. Like that's that's easier lift to update someone on my current state of mind than it is to know what solutions will make me feel better. You know, and this could just be me because if you asked me that too, I'd be like, so now you want me to do the work for you to help me? I don't like, I just don't have, I can easily, I can easily tap into a place of. of, What do you mean uh, the work? Like if if you're feeling grief and you're sad or you're depressed or you're numb and I said, sorry, I haven't checked in on you. Like, yeah, it sounds like it's been hard or lonely like how are you doing now I'd be like I'm fine Mm. because then you're still in many ways asking for me to put in the work that's what I mean like put in my thoughts my energy into helping you understand what it is that I'm experiencing Mm -hmm. and I could easily go into a place of anger but this is me right now that I'm processing with you right like I don't know if in that moment I would have said but I could go into a place of anger and be like man I don't even care like I don't want to have to tell you any of this you should know (laughs) so that to me sounds like if I checked in with somebody who's still in this space of of numbness and and depression that's the that's the reaction I would expect do you find though that most people who are in the stage don't reach out? So like they don't often even reach out or even talk to you until they're out of it. Yeah, totally. So like because the reaction of like energy. how are you doing now doesn't necessarily so it's yeah. If, if they respond with anger or just like I'm fine. <laughs> you're reading the tea leaves. You're like, okay, this person is still still in that phase. Yeah. They don't have the energy to be there with you to 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 try and explain yeah. however however else anything is. They're just like they're just present. Especially like for me, for example, I I don't have any issues in really kind of talking about how it is that I am. Right? How are you feeling? Or or kind of describing that. So for people that know me, and and if I kind of start to shut myself away, then 
it's going to be much harder for me to get into this place of wanting to be open again. And, and for me, that takes time. There's nothing more than, than time uh, that really helps. You do have to be mindful of that. I feel like we also talked about um, this reminds me of introversion versus extroversion. Mm-hmm. Do you think that impacts your socialization when you're grieving? Yeah, totally. Yeah, I think so, Sue. So you got to, if you're supporting a friend, you know, it's helpful to think about like, who is this friend? If they're, they're normally a very extroverted, connecting in a certain way person, how are they, how are they today in that way, in that context, you know? Yeah. Because somebody might be introverted, is very comfortable with themselves, like alone, and that doesn't distress them. Right. It distresses you maybe because you may pick up on things, but for them, it could just be like, no, yeah, this is my normal functioning. I'm getting through this how I know how. So how do you tell the difference between depression and numbness and introversion? I would say introversion is more of a choice. It's a personality, but it's more of a choice that you've come to understand that this is the way that you navigate the world. These are the preferences that I have to be in certain kind of circles of people and how to navigate that those types of social relationships. Whereas depression, there really isn't a choice there at all. It, it just may kind of happen. And you may never really know why. There could be linkages to uh, events in your life and situations in your life that may lead you to have symptoms of depression. But then this aspect of numbness, I believe that numbness is something that comes about and in my experience has come about after I've been feeling all of these other things that I, I, I become overwhelmingly exhausted from having to deal with the outside world. Yeah. I think I can also tell because as an introvert, when I'm alone, I'm still having fun. I still enjoy my time. I'm finding things to do that I enjoy. But when I'm depressed and numb, there's no joy. (laughs) There's no liking being alone. Being alone feels scary or hard even sad, like even though I'm not crying, that that Mm. isolation does feel sad. Whereas normally as an introvert, I would enjoy being alone. And and maybe there's a lot there in terms of the thoughts too that go on in my head. Like I'm processing out loud with you. It's like when I'm an introvert and I'm alone, I'm still thinking in my head about the things that are interesting to me. Mm -hmm. But when I'm depressed, it's that cycle of like negative thinking you know, you could kind of run in your head those those thoughts that just maybe a different feeling of the kinds of what ifs or people would be better off or, you know, whatever it is that is your, your version of intrusive negative thoughts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what works to get you out of that space? This is such a, a cliche, but it is time. I I have to be able to just experience the wholeness of this feeling to be able to move past it. In the same way that it kind of gradually happens, I think there's a gradual progression of, all right, I, I, I got to snap out of this because it's, it's too much. That's interesting. Maybe because I have depression, 
this is the one that scares me. So Mm. when I feel this way with relation to grief, I'm actually more inclined to act, to activate because I'm so afraid of triggering a depressed episode. Interesting. Yeah. I don't act on the other ones because I don't, like I said, I tend to avoid anger or conflict. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't lean into it. If I start to feel like color is fading and I start to think about the way I have suicidal thoughts, it really scares me because the episodes are really bad. I don't ever want to go there, you know? Yeah. So those are your red flags that you're like, okay, immediate action required. Yeah. Get your act together. Yeah. Don't go there. Call in the forces. Is it Mm -hmm. meds? Is it people who I need to talk to? And over the years, I have gotten really much better about not feeling shame about acknowledging that I feel depressed. And I've also been better when people call me out. Like I used to feel really Mm. bad and isolate when people would call me out. And now when they call me out, I'm like, okay, you're telling me something. You're my support person. You're saying that this is this is a sign for you. This is a trigger. So like, listen, and, and don't, don't do stupid things <laughs> where you, where you like run away from people because your, your loved ones are trying to tell you that they're there. So if you start experiencing this numbness, based on what you just said, does that mean that because you're bringing in, you're lighting the flags and saying, hold up, something's happening. Yeah. Is it less likely that you will actually move into more of this like full-on numb state because you're doing a lot of the kind of preventative work? Yeah, I think I have to, you know? Okay. That's where I am. Maybe everybody's a little different, but for me, because I have depression, it's Mm -hmm. um, I think it's just too much of a risk factor to get stuck in that stage if I'm dealing with a grief or a loss. So This is recent. Like I think about the grief that I've gone through in the last year and how I'm different today, like this last year, as opposed to five years ago or 10 years ago, 10 or 15 years ago, I would have really just given in because I don't think I would have had the insight about how much losing something would have been a trigger for my clinical depression. I kind of would have okay. given into it a little bit more and and that would have and then it would have been bad because you know whereas I have you know one or two depressed episodes in a year ideally only one you know that a bad year I could have like a couple more yeah <laughs> and it's just a math game like I can't afford it I can't afford to go there so I, d- I need to do something to make sure I'm protected It doesn't mean that I don't – the thing, though, it's interesting because it's like, you know, with grief, we've kind of told people, like, you have to feel what you feel. And I do feel sad, but I kind of have to use some of my coping skills, like intellectualizing it so I don't fall into the emotional state of it. I have to talk to myself and say, this is sad, you know, like, Mm. this is the way my body wants to feel this way. This is what your brain is doing. Um, but I but I can't I would say I don't I, I I would be afraid to fully give into that space because it's not a really healthy space for me to be in. You know, it's a little surprising to hear you share that. Um, for the reason that with with all the episodes that we've recorded, you oftentimes are spend less time intellectualizing everything. You're just kind of 
feeling what you feel. And in this particular space, you really have to use those tools to help you push past this, which I think is really cool. I think it's only have, has happened because you've been able to uh, really recognize what works and what doesn't. It's it's my work, right? It's like my therapy work. <laughs> yeah. And like knowing your risk factors because I I do. I have to use intellectualization as a coping skill. It's too risky for me to be in that state because of my risk factors. Yeah. Now I have to go back to all the other ones and be like, oh, you're you're right. Avoidance is my other coping skill. And then this one I cannot afford to avoid. And I'll just say like when I get depressed, the where where things get scary for me, like I think in learning who you are and learning whether how risk factors become triggers for where what your brain is, um, I think it's been helpful as well to think about timing and what comes first. So I talk about this with a lot with my clients, for example, where like, okay, when you had an episode, what changes first, second, third, or fourth? What are your red flags to tell you how far you've progressed? And I have a much better sense of like, what are my early warning signs versus like, when do I know I'm in too deep? And it's going to be so much harder for me to climb out of it. And my only goal is to only get to stage three and not stage five or six, you know? Yeah. If I let myself get so bad, it's going to require more extreme intervention and I don't want to go there. So if I could just catch it in the earlier phases. That's why we talk about like doing all the things that I know work to pull me out of that space. And shame and guilt are huge. So like I did only really recently, which is wild because it is it because I'm older now, I'm in my 40s, but you know, not used to talking about it. Yeah, it was more internal. Which is which is consistent with all the other stages where we say like it's okay for you to be angry. It's okay for you to bargain out loud. Nobody should tell you you shouldn't do that. In the same way, depression is the same. I have to talk about it out loud when I internalize, when I sh- keep it inside my head and I wrestle with it internally only alone. That's a risky thing for me. I think what resonates with me most out of this conversation is that you have to be very careful of the slippery slope that exists when you're in this feeling and phase of numbness Um, because it can really go in a very negative direction if you kind of let it progress. And with that same kind of thinking, it's not like you can prepare for it, but there is a, a component of knowing in some way that this is such a normal part of what we go through when we go through grief, that knowing I can move past this as well in the same way that I've moved past all these other phases. Yeah. You know, that it will gradually get better. Yeah. It does get better. All of these stages do get better with time and support. That is the nice thing, even though it does sound trite. (laughs) It, it is interesting. Yeah, I did not anticipate going this way. I mean, maybe my final thought is as we progress in these stages of grief, the lesson for this one that was a surprise is that we always know that stages look different for different people, but to know oneself, to build insight and and to know your risks, to know your strengths, 
and incorporate that into your grief experience is wise. Hmm. And avoid shame. You know, that's just a nasty feeling. It comes from somewhere that's just not ever good or helpful. All right. Well, we'll talk to everybody next week. Keep fighting in the open, everyone. Thank you all. <laughs>